Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. I am your host, Steve Hofstetter, and as always, wanted to thank everybody for commenting and liking and subscribing. Uh, first bunch of episodes, obviously, are already out, and they've been kicking ass, and we appreciate your part in that. Now, I want to introduce our guest. We're going to get right into it. Uh, here with the fabulous Jimmy Dore, hilariously funny comedian, um, but also, and one of the things that appeals to me about you is you are someone who made your own bones on YouTube, like myself, and you, you know, were known for a lot of political commentary, and then you just created your own channel, network, enterprise, <laughs> yeah. organization, planet. I don't know what it is. It's uh, a whole a whole bunch of stuff where you have, you know, the Jimmy Dore show, um, and your podcast is doing great. Your YouTube channel is doing great. Your Twitter is doing great. And it's it's fun to it's fun to watch that build a comedian who got famous not being on television. Well, I appreciate. I mean, I was certainly on television. It didn't really ever make a dent. Yeah. So, like, I had a couple of Comedy Central specials. I had uh, a half hour in two thousand four, and then in two thousand eight, I had an hour special called Citizen Jimmy, and it did well, like for the ratings wise and whatever. And they ran it, but they only ran it a f few times. It was political. Yeah. And so it was kind of timely. And um, that didn't do really anything for my career. I always thought like, oh, you get a Comedy Central special and then you, that's it. You're, yeah. you're a big shot, you start selling tickets. I didn't, and even though the the special got, it, it did get recognized, it was chosen best of the year by iTunes. That's, a, that's and, amazing. And top five videos of the year by Punchline Magazine. So I'm like, I'm on my way, baby. Yeah. I really thought I, really thought I was on my way. And, uh, and then nothing, uh, but, it led to um, uh, the the UCB Theater was opening in in uh, Los Angeles, and they asked me if I would do a show. And of course, I I didn't have a show in mind. I didn't know what the hell I would do. And but I knew if I said no, that was me being a coward. So I said, of course, I'll do a show. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 wait! Don't gloss over that. That's an incredible point. Right. So why was the, why would that be you being a coward? Because there are a million reasons to say no to something. There's right. just you know not being ready like you didn't have an idea for one yet yeah i didn't have they go do you want to do a show and i'd only been so i had done the marijuana logs i was invited to do that right by uh, doug benson and tony kameen arch barker so and i toured around the world with that so i got a feel for doing something besides stand up in front of a live audience and then when they asked me to do it i was like well uh, okay i guess i'll do it you know and i had because you have to think of a show every month an hour and it's got to be new and fresh, and I wanted it to be funny. I don't want people to show up and watch me, you know, talk like I'm on a podcast, right? I wanted people to come up and see my talent that I thought I had. So anyway, what what it it was at the same time I was having a bad back issue, and so I couldn't really get off the couch much, right? And I was watching so much TV news, and I couldn't believe how horrible it was. I just couldn't get over how horrible it was. And um, so when they asked me to do that show, I was like, oh, I, I know, I'll just play video clips of the news that drive me nuts and I'll talk about them and I'll write some jokes for them. And that's what I did. And that led to everything. That led to Alex Murray, my manager at Brillstein, coming to see me do the show there and immediately sign me. That's how I got the hour special. And uh, the... After that, after the hour special, I also then got uh, someone from KPFK Radio saw me do that same show. It's called Pop and Pol it used to be called Pop and Politics. Now we just call it the Jimmy Dore Show. 
And uh, and then someone from Brillstein, Alex Murray, saw me and signed me, got me that special. Then after that, someone else from KPFK Radio saw me do that same show and gave me a radio show on KPFK, and which I still do today. So that's been going on for like 12 years. And uh, then I got hooked up with the Young Turks. So the Young Turks uh, is an online news show. They're, they're mm-hmm. the largest online news show in the world, right? They have like 6 billion views or whatever. Yeah, I've been on it. Okay, so you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I knew who they were too. I was a fan. And um, and then they, they the, ho- the main host, Jenk Uger, got a job at MSNBC. They needed guest hosts. So they called me in. Uh, because the someone there knew that I was a political comedian, and I had this guy named Hank Thompson knew me because I, he was a comedian too. So they called me in, and uh, it was really a dream come true for me because they said, hey, nobody likes our guest hosts. They only like Jank. They're going to hate you. Don't worry about it. And for whatever reason, they loved me, right? Their audience loved me, and then they gave, immediately gave me a show, and that led to me figuring out how to do this in front of a camera, right? Yeah. And which is a different animal, totally. And uh, but I learned a lot from Jenk Uger because he knew how to do it. He was a great. He's a great broadcaster, and he has a lot of talent. And so I just kind of watched him. And you know, as a stand-up, you're not allowed to be angry, um, really, right? There's certain like Sam Kinison was allowed to be angry. There's a yeah. few people who a uh, 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 Lewis Black can get away with it, but Lewis Black is more of a feigned anger. He's not angry at you. You know what I mean? And so uh, my whole life I had suppressed my anger on stage because my, well, my wife told me, I remember she said, you know, Jimmy, you can't go up there and be Bill Hicks because uh, you look like you come from privilege, even <laughs> though I don't, right? Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't come from privilege. It's the sweater. I can't, ha ha. But I come, I grew up really poor, right? Yeah. Really, I, youngest of 12 kids. My dad was a cop. 12 kids. I drank powdered milk till I was in fourth grade. I mean, we were poor, poor. Uh, and so- when I was able to make my own money, I started to dress nicely, right? So I always had nice shoes and a nice shirt, and really, and I was always well, you know, put together because of I don't know as a reaction to growing up poor and never having. I used to wear everything was a hand me down. I yeah. had to wear shoes that were three sizes too big, and we put toilet paper in the toes so I could wear them. So I grew up poor, poor, and so I didn't realize that people wouldn't know that when I got on stage. And if I was angry, people were off put by that. And I remember my uh, wife told me, she goes, you can't do that. You, you can't go up on stage and be Bill Hicks because you don't look like him and people think you're an asshole, right? So then I had to sneak everything I wanted to say in behind a smile, right? Yeah. And so if you watch my 2008 Citizen Jimmy special, that's a nice Jimmy. So then I did another special. My most recent one was I think in 2015 and it was on Hulu and it was called uh, Sentence to Live, and that's a different Jimmy. So yeah. that's, the, that's like the, uh, the, the, I wasn't afraid of my anger anymore because I found out that people actually connected with it. But if my anger had to be about something they were angry about too, and it turned out they were angry about the shit state of the country. So the moral of the story is that your wife was completely wrong. <laughs> and, no, the the first of all, so many things that you said resonated with me. I also grew up with hand me downs. We had basically like filing cabinet type like uh, storage boxes oh. in the in the attic of because I was one of four, not one of twelve, right? But one of four, and we would go through them. And it was like, okay, well, Steve's eight now. Let's open the eight-year-old boy box. And then it was like from cousins and mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. So first of all, that definitely got me. But the idea of and this is an important point that I do not want to be lost is you found your voice by doing your own thing, right? Because you know a stand-up special when you came back to it, well, that's the same type of medium you were in before. 
But in between 2008 and 2015, you were able to explore your voice with no boss. Right. You were able to explore your voice right. in a way of completely uncensored, completely untamed, and direct connection to the audience, which is a very different thing than television. And I know you've done TV. I wasn't saying you've right, never right, right. been on TV. I was saying that TV isn't what did it for you. Correct. Right. You know, the same way. I've I've done some TV and nobody cared. Right. I hosted my own show on Fox. Nobody ever watched it. It was, I've, I think twice people have come up to me on the street being like, hey, I watch laughs. And yet every time I'm in an airport, someone's like, oh, I watch your YouTube. And right. it's a very, very different thing. It's a different connection. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is that creating your own work allows you to explore your voice. And this isn't just for comedy. I think this is true for anything. Right. The idea of working in a medium that gives you permission to fail is the only way you can succeed. Because if you're always trying to please someone else, yes. you're never giving yourself permission to fail. And failure is what allows you to learn to succeed. Now, speaking of that and the, the, the very premise of our show, um, I want to know I want to know when things went wrong. Because, you know, we have the story. We have the trajectory of things going right now. But how did things go wrong? Well, I can tell you this. I it, Things went well for me right away when I got to Los Angeles. So I got hooked up with an agent. I started getting on TV right away. I got on NBC's Late Friday. I was a, it was a show that was hip with the comics, and I was doing um, Friday night videos. I did five of those, and I was, I was doing a lot of Comedy Central. So things worked out. But when I would go into audition, so I remember the first time I went into an audition. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm just Jimmy Jagoff coming in, in L.A. from Chicago. I don't know what's what's upside is down. I would and, love that to be someone's stage name, by the uh, way. Jimmy Jagoff. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be someone Jimmy whose Jagoff. stage name. So I didn't even know like how the whole thing worked when you walk into an audition at the time. Like you have to sign in. You have to have your head shot, all that stuff. So I went in and they go, you have to sign in, right? I'm like, oh, okay. So I go to sign in. And I look at all the names ahead of me that have signed in for this audition. And it's all people I knew from television. I didn't know personally, but I had seen on TV comedians. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to choose me. They have all these comedians from The Tonight Show and David Letterman. They're not going to choose me, right? So when I went into the audition, I had already pretended like I had lost the audition. And I was just myself. Yeah. And I was just trying to make the camera guy laugh. I got the audition. I got it. My first audition. I got it. And I was like, what the What F? was this for? So it was funny. It was it was a commercial audition and it was for um it was for Winston cigarettes. I know it sounds it So was, when so cigarettes was, were still doing commercials. So it was kind of a quasi industrial. Uh so that's how I met Todd Glass, by the way. So it was they chose me, Todd Glass, Cedric the Entertainer, and some other guy I don't know. And it was called the they that was when Winston started to have this thing where they didn't add any additives to their cigarettes. And it was called the No Bull Comedy Tour, right? That's what their thing was. Right? Yeah. So we were supposed to be guys who were no bullshit comics, right? So we were anyway. So that's why I saw it. So I got it. And I'll never forget the negotiation. My agent calls me and says, hey, that you got that thing for the for the Winston cigarette. I, I didn't even know it was for Winston then. They, hey, you got that thing you auditioned for. And I go, oh, really? Who's it for? They go, well, that's Winston cigarettes. And I go, wow. I go, how much money is it? They go, well, how much do you want? And I said, how much do I want? I go, I don't know. Uh, how about $5,000? It's a cigarette company, right? They got a lot of money. And they call me back. They go, they're going to give you 10000 and I was like, "Holy, this Hollywood's really working out." Yeah, I love this place. This is awesome. So the point of that story was, so I went and I do that gig. That's how I got health insurance, ironically, for doing a thing for. But, but also, cigarettes. before you, before you get to the point of the story, 
I just want to go on though, because I I've been through that too. The idea of going to an audition and looking at the sign-in list mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh, everybody here is famous. Yes, everybody's famous. Why am I? Why am I here? Yeah, why am I here? That's how I felt. Uh, unlike your story, though, I did not get that. <laughs> so, so let's so now, go back to the so point of the story. So here's how I failed. Yeah. So now when I went into the next audition, I knew I could get it. Yeah. And I was. I was so I was tense and tight, and I wasn't myself. And I was like a guy trying to, you know, how a guy acts when he meets his girlfriend's parents. That's how yeah. I was being in the audition, which is not who I am. Oh, I love that metaphor. I and, love that metaphor. And well, I, my wife gave me that too. So, and so for, and I didn't get it. I didn't land another audition for years, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. I didn't know what the fuck's wrong with me. What's going on? Yeah. And ten thousand dollars is slowly disappearing. Yeah, <laughs> I blew that in the summer, and yeah. <laughs> um, I went to New York for the summer. It was great. Anyway, uh, so th- I couldn't figure it out, and then I went in for this audition for uh, uh, a Comedy Central pilot, and I didn't want to do it. I was like, I don't want to do this show. Was I don't want to say what it was, but I, I didn't yeah. want to do it. And so I was just, again, trying to make the guys laugh in the room. I was just being funny, trying to make them laugh because I, you know, it's a waste of my time. By the time I got to the elevator, uh, they stopped me and go, you have the job. Wow. <laughs> so then I'm like, what the? So then I was like, boom, a light bulb goes off. I'm like, so now how do I pretend like I don't want the job? I've never been able to recreate that. Yeah, <laughs> I, you have I to always actually. I always, when I can't, I can't trick myself anymore so i did get a couple more acting things when i went in um but that also when if i would read the sinus and i would see guys oh that guy's from mad about you oh that guy's from the and i'm like holy shit and it would it would freak me out so i was never so the auditioning thing didn't work for me even though i figured out the secret i couldn't recreate it right i couldn't what they call get in touch with your instrument right so whatever you got to do to get yourself in that position where you can be funny and so i remember when i was auditioning i was practicing with my wife and I and she goes, okay, come in like you're coming into the audition room. So I walk in and she goes, who are you? And I go, what do you mean, who am I? She goes, that's not who you are. That she goes, it sounds like you're trying. That's what you're like when you were meeting my parents. Yeah. Oh, and so and that's I was what... like, oh, really? That's my. And so I never could figure out how to be Jimmy on stage in front of Jimmy in front of a camera. It, uh, enough. Like I could every once in a while. Yeah. And that's the key to like, I think someone with real acting talent is they can tap into it all the time. That's the difference between being funny and being a comedian. So like somebody goes, oh, this guy I work with, he's funny. Uh, Yeah, the difference between that and a guy who's a professional comedian is when the improv calls me and says, Jimmy, can you be funny from 10 o'clock to 10.15 tonight? Yes, I can be funny from 10 o'clock. But if you call your friend, he's like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to. But that's the difference between a great actor and me. Like an actor, hey, can you come up and be yourself in front of a camera at 10 o'clock? Yeah, I can't. It's like, I don't know if I can, maybe, it's, maybe I can. So to me, and so that's how I failed. And it forced me into doing my own thing because it wasn't working out for me auditioning and stuff like that. My friends would bring me in for projects and I couldn't audition, right? Because I felt extra pressure because I'm like, well, they know how funny I am and I better really not let them down. So I was mind fucking myself the whole time. Yeah. And so auditions, that, that so that's my fail story is I failed at auditions and I never got good at them. And even meetings, I could never really be my, you know, meetings are super important. Same story, I go in to host this thing, I I forget what it was for. And uh, I don't think I'm in the the meeting, I'm I'm in this outer office and this guy comes up and he says hi to me and we start talking and I'm, and and, and so I'm being myself and I'm making these guys laugh and laugh. And uh, they go, wow, that was great, that was great. 
uh, she's take care. And I'm like, what? What was great? And so I guess that was our meeting. I didn't even know it. Oh, and my, wow. I get a call back, and now they're, I'm going to meet the head of the production company or network or whatever. And now I'm like, oh, I could get... And so I totally fucking... Te- <laughs> and the guys were sitting there like, Jimmy, tell the story that you told us about your fan. Yeah. And I'm like, what story? I don't remember. And they're like, you know how you were telling that? And I totally... So that was... I mindfucked myself in auditions, which is why I found success as a self-producer. I... I had a meeting once with, I think it was the Travel Channel. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where in the room, I'm just killing it. Mm-hmm. Just telling stories and making mm-hmm. them laugh and we're vibing so well. And I just like, afterward, and they're like, oh, we, we want you to meet you know, the next level or whatever. And I couldn't recreate it. I couldn't recreate it at all. And I'm like, oh, could you have just maybe filmed that other meeting? <laughs> yes. And show them how charming I was then? Because I'm not now. I'm not now. That's and, right. And it's the same way that like even, you know, you talk about meeting, you know, meeting your girlfriend's parents, even dating. The idea of like when you decide, okay, this one's going to work. I'm going to make this one work. It's like, no, you're not. Right, right. You're going to come off desperate and needy. And you're not going to be That's you. That's right. And everything charming about you yes. is going to be gone. And it it holds true for every walk of life. We're going to talk about this more when we come back from the break. Support our sponsors because they support us. Back here on Failing Forward with my guest Jimmy Dore. And we're talking about the idea of making your own success and working for yourself. And I don't know who said it. But a long time ago, I heard someone say that working for yourself, it's like a video game where you're just trying to set the high score. <laughs> like that's that's all it is. And when you when you have a job that you don't care about, and sometimes I envy people who have that, who can come home at 6 p.m. Oh, yeah. and not give a shit. And turn it off. Absolutely. Yes. And like, yeah, I don't envy them from, you know, 10 a.m. to 6. Right. But I envy the fuck out of them from six a from six p.m. to ten a.m. Yeah, the idea of be you probably can sleep better. Yes, <laughs> you know you can just be able to. You know they go out, they drink with their friends, they don't give a fuck. Their weekend is their weekend. Oh, God damn and it! I, I do envy that, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade what I have. No, not at all. Not for you know. I got a little taste. Uh, so I I was working with the Young Turks, which is this online news show. And it was really helpful because they had a big audience and people got to know who I am. And, you know, they mm-hmm. tell you never to tell, talk about politics on stage, even though that's been my success. I think that's crazy. I think the people who say that are, those are the cowards. Yeah. Like well, the, the, it was mostly club owners. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, because they don't understand that different people have different tastes. Yeah. And they don't understand. It's the, sa- the same way of like, it's the, it's the type of comedy club owner who will, someone will be disruptive during the show. I actually, I once had a guy in, uh, I once had a guy, the the same guy doesn't own it anymore, but this was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and this guy threatened me during the show. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even say anything. I made a joke about Oakland, California. In Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It made no sense. And this guy just threatens me, like stands up and says he's going to kick my ass. And he like gets, you know, he gets kicked out of the show. The owner comes up to him, apologizes, and buys him a drink. I'm like, you just bought a, you wow. just bought alcohol for someone who was threatening to assault me. Wow. That's not a good idea. And so there are people like that, and it's not just club owners, but it, you know there are company owners, there are business owners who are just chicken shit and just so scared to actually make a stand about anything. And so when they give you that advice, for anyone listening, please don't take it. 
Like, right. fine, and look, you have to play the game to a degree. Right. Well, so that's the. Well, here's the game I played. So yeah, uh, they would, you know, I, I, they would say, "Hey, you know, could you uh, not do the politics?" I'm like, you know, what? I'm not coming out to do a lecture. I'm coming out with fucking jokes. Yeah. So when I talk, people laugh. So and I never had. So if ever I played a club, they always saw I was funny, and they always invited me back. There's very few clubs I didn't get invited back to, and it was never because of my comedy. Is because I probably said a joke about the owner that he didn't like, right? Right. Or you said a joke about someone that they irrationally support. Correct. That's correct. Right. And then you're just like, they're just like, how dare you defend women's rights? <laughs> so, and then, yeah. So I started working with the Young Turks, and they, Jenk Uger showed me that it's okay to let your anger show, that people will connect with it, and it's okay to say whatever the F you want, right? So I was even more radical than they were. And so I don't I forget where the story was going. I have no idea what, what uh, was. Working for yourself versus oh. working for someone else. So they became, they got really popular, and so they became a huge corporation. They got a $20 million investment and everything, and, and they became they had to get a human resources department and all kinds of shit like that. Ooh. Like, there's that. Yeah. And so I had a Twitter skirmish with someone, and um, I got reprimanded over it. Yeah. And I was like, what? i like, you're, you're fucking monitoring my Twitter? And they're like, yeah, well, this and that, and it's blah, blah, blah. And, blah, and then, you know, so you're going to have this, get this letter from Human Resources, and you have to sign it. And, blah, blah, blah. Oh. and I go, hey, guess what? I'm quitting because I'm not doing this. Wow. And they're like, okay. You quit over Twitter? I quit over. I mean, the, I know the. Over the it wasn't yeah. that. It, it was. If I can't fight with people on Twitter, I'm not going to work here. It no, was, I know. I know what you're saying. It's the it's the idea of having it was just an the answer idea to... of that. It was like so. I did you know. So it's like I put them in a position. Like so, they're a big corporation. So my actions on Twitter because I was their employee actually reflected negatively on them, right? And I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want yeah. to put them in. A, and so they were like maybe in a quasi. They it, they weren't, but they could have maybe been in a quasi legal situation, and they didn't want to be. And I'm like I. And so I get it. And I actually probably go hey. I didn't realize that me being your employee and me doing shit outside would you would have to then manage it. Yeah. So 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 this this doesn't happen. I wasn't mad at them, but so so that I don't put you in this position again because I'm going to do this again. Yeah. So that I don't put you in this position again. Let's just not have me being employee anymore and I can still come in as a as a like an outside person as a guest or whatever. And so that's what we did. And so yeah. then I was like a contractor with them for like another six months. And now I'm just completely on my own because even as a contractor, there's still a lot of corporate things that go along with the huge, they're a huge corporation. They have like a hundred employees, maybe more. Yeah. So it, it, there's just so many things that goes, go along with working inside a corporation that I'm allergic to. And, and it's got nothing to do with them being a bad corporation. They're all good people. They run a good corporation. It's just the idea of working inside that kind of environment. I'm allergic to it. And I don't need it. If I needed the money, that'd be one thing. But I don't need it because I'm doing my own thing. Right. And so the, the downside of doing your own thing is you don't get to punch out, just like you were saying. So you're constantly working. It's never not. You're never not working. What else am I going to be doing? You know, so I have to f force myself to go out and do comedy at night because that's my vacation from my job.
Yeah. When I go out and do stand-up comedy, I'm not thinking about my job. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. Or I'm just thinking about doing stand-up comedy, and it's like it's like a meditation for me. Honest to God, I, it's the only time. It's like when Michael Jordan said the only time of day he wasn't you know bothered was when he was on the court. That's when he felt his freedom. Yeah. I feel the same way doing stand-up. Like that's the only time I'm not fucking bothered with my life and my business because running a business, as you know, has a million things that you oh and they'll never get done. I could work from now until the end of the month, and I still won't get the shit done. Yeah. So there's just a, oh, you have to start to accept that there's always going to be things that need to get done, and you and you have to like, you know, you, you have to be able to compartmentalize your life. Like, okay, I have to stop thinking about this now. It's hard for me to do. I'm not good at it. But are yeah. you? Are you good at it? I I actually my little trick, and it's so stupid. There's an iPhone game I play. Uh-huh. It's called Empires and Puzzles, and I'm a little bit obsessed with it. And the reason I love it is it's what they refer to as a grind game, which means you the only way to win is to grind on it every day it's to play every day 20 minutes or so whatever it is and that's how you win and what a grind does is when i do something in the game i know exactly what the result will be and i don't know that in my life and so to be able to be like you're right i got those gems i accomplished that that moment's over and to have that allows me to spend the rest of my life in this giant mystery of, well, I don't know when this is going to happen, and I don't know if this is going to work. And, right. and then the other thing, my hobby is uh, I build furniture. Oh. And I love woodworking, and I'm not great at it, but I'm good enough that like most of the furniture yeah. in my house is that. And the reason I love it is when I finish a table, I'm fucking done. Yeah. I'm done with that table. I'm not looking at that being like, you know, I could change that one little <laughs> thing. But with my act and with my videos and with all that other stuff, I'm always, yeah. how do I oh, tweak this a little bit more? That's right. You're always tweaking. Always, ne- Nothing's ever done. It always could be a little bit better. A different ca- camera angle or a sound or a joke here yeah. or there. If I were to lift my eyebrow, you know, whatever. You're right. But when you make a table, that's a good thing. I wish I had something that I did that I could say, hey, look, I did that. It's not that difficult to, to get into. Like My friend Paul Gilmartin picked up the woodworking. Oh, Paul does that? Yeah. Yeah. I got, I ha- God, I haven't talked to him in forever. I want to, I'd love to reach out to him about that stuff because it's something I picked up when my father passed, uh-huh. something that he did. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And it was just something that I was like, I was sad. And I was, you know, I was still married at the time. And, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to make a table. And my ex was like, you don't know how to make a table. And I was like, who cares? I'm sad. And then <laughs> I just went into the garage and three days later, it turned out I had a table. Nice. And so, uh, yeah, it wasn't the best, but it was, you know, it was good enough. And over the years, I've, you know, kind of gotten better at it. But the, but the idea is to have an outlet that's not work, I think is very important, especially when you're, when you're working for yourself and when you're, you know, trying to world beat and, you know, all this stuff and you're at the mercy of, <clears throat> it's weird. Guys like you and I don't have a boss, but we have a million of them. Yeah. And so to be at the mercy of that is a completely different harrowing experience. And so to be able to have something that's off to the side, I I, recommend. The thing I worry about, it's great not having a boss, meaning they don't tell me what I can and cannot say or my content or how to do it or how to do what or how to say what I want to say. The only thing I do worry about is because my show is pretty controversial in a sense Mm -hmm. that it actually makes the elites uncomfortable. 
um, because I tell the truth about things like war, right? So yeah. that's what you'll never hear in the mainstream news. They always right now they say Trump is a madman who's a pu- Putin puppet. He's actually working for another country. But they're they're like, You're right. if he wants to invade Iran, I'm cool with it. Like what the? I mean, that's the news, you yeah. know. If he wants to invade Venezuela, we're cool with it. Hey, if he wants to drop some more bombs in Syria, but he's supposed to be working for another country. So it, that's what it's a pretty I good do. Point. What I do, yeah. I mean, so this guy's working for Putin, but you're gonna let him go invade another country? You don't think he's doing it? for Putin oh but yeah. that's because that's all BS and the military industrial complex is what uh, the news media works for the people they're supposed to be investigating and exposing and so I tell you the truth about the war and that's what gets demonetized and that's what they're trying to shut me down for so I told the truth about the head of the Center for American Progress her name is Neera Tandon who was an advisor to the Hillary Clinton campaign she's one of the most powerful people in Washington and uh, she tweeted out a link saying Jimmy Dore keeps attacking me in his YouTube videos and uh, and, and in, in implying I should be deplatformed for it. And she linked to the Carlos Maza, Stephen Crowder. Wow. She linked to that. Now, that's a very powerful person. That's not a no. That's the person who's on first name basis with the owner of Google yeah. and the owner of YouTube and the president of everything, right? Yeah. So she's... And and she's coming at me saying this guy should be in, in the platform because he's saying mean things about me. What I said about her was that there was a WikiLeaks revealed an email where she was advocating inside the Clinton campaign for, hey, if we're going to keep invading places like Libya, we need to take their oil. That's what she was saying. Wow. And I'm like, wow, you sound just like Trump. Yeah. And that's why she's she was calling Julian Assange a fascist. I'm like, no, you're the fascist. You're the one who wants to invade other people's countries and steal their oil. And we got the proof for it right here. And so that's why they wanted to platform me. Not because I'm insulting someone, but because I'm telling the truth about someone. Well, the but but also and, and so not that, only not only it's the people who you talk about, but it's also the people who disagree with you on anything. Like I had someone I had a video recently where uh, someone yelled out an anti-Semitic trope at me, and I uh-huh. responded as you'd assume I would respond. Uh-huh. And there were people who – it got picked up by the Daily Stormer and a bunch of really awful places like that. And there were people coming at me, and aside from the death threats, uh, the thing that made me laugh the most was they were, like, trying to get me fired. <laughs> and I was uh-huh. like, from what? From what? what can you, can yeah. You they literally – one guy CC'd me on an email to Sports Illustrated. I'm like, I haven't worked for them in 13 years. I, and and even when I worked there, I was like a weekly columnist. I wasn't on salary. I was a freelancer. And the the idea of like they tried to get me fired from old credits, which I just I laughed at so hard. But it's it's people's go to now. People's go to is like I don't like what that person's saying. Let me take let me take their ability to work away from them. Which that is why I love being able to work for myself. That is why I love being able to. You know, and and it you are relying on the platform. That is that is true. You have you know you've got what six hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. So somewhere around there. And so if you lost that, even if you oh well, I could just go to Facebook or I could just go to something else. No, that's not how it works. Yeah, you can't rebuild that that quickly. No, that's not how it works. I mean, all those platforms are individual, and especially YouTube. There's nothing like it. People go. People keep saying. Hey, why don't you jo- uh, join BitChute or why don't you get why don't we start another platform? Somebody on my show yesterday was like, "We want to start a new Facebook." And I'm like, "You know what's going to happen as soon as you're if you start a new Facebook and it becomes a little successful, what will happen is Facebook will buy you and then there will be no more new Facebook." Right. Cuz you no one can say no to 20 billion dollars cuz that's what they paid for WhatsApp, 20 yeah. billion dollars. Well, every so often 
there becomes a new thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Facebook was a new thing mm-hmm. when when MySpace was kicking ass, mm-hmm. you know, and MySpace was a new thing when Friendster was kicking ass. Right. And Friendster was a new thing when Six Degrees was kicking ass, which nobody even remembers. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, there's a reason. But yeah. at the time, it was doing okay. Mm-hmm. And so there are, every now and then, there are new competitors. But it is incredibly difficult to start something completely new. Right. And I mean, if you come up with a platform that's completely different from Facebook, they'll just buy, you couldn't say no to a billion dollars, let alone 20, right? Yeah, although it, it is funny that... uh that Yahoo tried to buy Google for, I think it, I think originally they tried to buy Google for a million dollars. And then, and, and, and you know, and Google had said no. Mm-hmm. And then, I, I think it was something like, they offered four billion and Google wanted six billion and Yahoo still said no and then now. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a big look mistake. Look how things changed. But because... anyway, the point is that like, and the platform stuff, I. I'm very torn on the issue of, you know, when platforms kick someone off. Right. Because on one hand, you don't want to give them that kind of power. On the other hand, they're a private company, so of course they have that kind of power. Um, But then also, when people are doing horrible things, you do want them not to be there for horrible things. The question is, who gets to decide who the horrible thing is? That's the whole thing. Do you want to, you know, as Glenn Greenwald said about the Carlos uh, Maza. Uh, Steven Crowder thing. I don't want a billionaire, Silicon Valley billionaire, policing the jokes of late night comedians. I don't want to live in that kind of world. Wait, I, I'm unfamiliar with that. What happened? So, you know, Steven Crowder and this guy, Carlos Mazur from Vox. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Steven Crowder, would, uh, this guy from Vox makes videos, political, and they're very provocative, right? So, he has yeah. these provocative, lots of provocative ideas. And so, Steven Crowder would make videos debunking his his videos. And along the way, he would... Uh, um, use homophobic uh, language uh, against him. They said racist language too. I didn't. I, I'm not sure what it was, but yeah. So that was the that was the beef that along the way he would do that, and uh, YouTube wasn't taking his channel down because they said he didn't violate the terms because the point of his video wasn't to incite hate. The point of his video wasn't to call him names. The point of his video was to debunk him. And along the way, he insulted him in those ways along the way, but that wasn't the point of the video. So Carlos Maza then got uh, this Twitter thread and he put a smash up of all the horrible things Steven Crowder said and he put it in this Twitter thread and it got like, you know, 50,000 retweets or whatever. It got a front page article on the Washington Post. It led to another article on the front page of the Sunday uh, New York Times. And... Uh, so it's all about people are like, oh, we have to shut these people down on YouTube. And my whole thing is we already have uh, free speech laws, right? And yeah. if you break free speech laws, then yes. But if you don't, then... I, it's up to the platform. I, we Look, so I'm against censorship. Uh, the idea of it like that comes out of the Enlightenment, which means I'm against censorship no matter where it comes from, the government, a corporation, or the church. So I'm against it in principle. So legally, yes, Twitter or Facebook or YouTube yeah. can deplatform people legally, and I think we should change that and we should make them public utilities. I think the most offensive thing, actually, that Stephen Crowder has done is call himself a comedian. But aside <laughs> from that... <laughs> I haven't really seen him. The stuff I have seen is not funny. He tried to debunk one of mine. It was mm-hmm. one of the dumbest things. It yeah, was he's with, not the brightest guy. It was incredibly dumb. 
Uh, and you don't get to call yourself a comedian if you've never been paid by a comedy club. I, but, I agree with that's the thing about, oh, Rush Limbaugh's a comedian. Really? When did he ever go on stage and do comedy? Yeah. And people will say, well, the definition of the word, it's like when someone says, I saw a comedian last night. <laughs> yeah. Do you picture a stand-up club? Yes, you do. Yeah. Or do you picture, oh, someone was in a funny movie. Like, they call Will Ferrell a comedian. It's like, no, he's a comic actor. Right. He's fantastic. Right. But he's a comic actor, and that's a different thing. Like, and people, oh, you're gatekeeping. It's like, no, if I was a pitcher and someone kept calling me a shortstop, I'd be like, what the fucker? I can't play short. So anyway, okay. But at least Will Ferrell, when they hire him, they hire him to be funny. Yeah. When someone hires... Rush Limbaugh, it's not for the laughs. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, unless it's unless it's ironic. <laughs> right, right. So, um, that, so that's what yeah. I mean by that. But the beauty of, so that's the only thing I worry about. You talk about not having a boss. So that's the, the only thing I worry about is they could take away my platform. Yeah. Uh, and they can, and they'll do it not for some stupid reason. They'll do, they'll say it's because of, oh, you were insulting her. You were, you were attacking someone or you were... But it's really because I'm telling the truth about the military industrial complex that they don't want told. Well, the thing that I have been, I have always tried to work on is diversifying platforms and diversifying audiences. Because, yeah, my YouTube is my biggest reach. So then I added Facebook video. And, you know, once Facebook monetized, I added that. And for, So how's that for, going, by the way, the Facebook monetization? It was going incredibly. And now I'm like buried in their algorithm. And so now, like, my Facebook videos barely matter. And, you know, and three months ago, I was selling out every show I would announce because of Facebook. Mm -hmm. And now it's back to YouTube again. Now I have more people on YouTube again. And so, but the reason for diversifying and also, you know, the reason I'm doing the live tours is because, it, you know, I could just stay home. Right, right. But I'm doing the live tours because maybe one day this will go away. Yes. I always view it as it could always go away. Whether it goes away in the way that you're talking about, about deplatforming or whether it goes away in the way that my MySpace was enormous. Right. My MySpace was at half a million people on MySpace when most people didn't have a thousand. And you know what? How much does that matter now? Mm -hmm. And so, and you know what? When I got hit with it, man, I did have to rebuild. But the, the idea is that you always have to diversify. And one thing I've always heard about entrepreneurs or you know anyone who works for themselves is multiple streams of income. Because if one thing goes away, you're gonna have to be okay with it. And I see famous comedians, straight up famous comedians who are on like a sitcom or have their own show or whatever it is, and that show gets canceled, mm -hmm. and then they're scrambling to make scrambling. rent. And I'm just like, how the, I know. how in the hell, you had everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And so being able to work for yourself isn't just about building something, it's about building some things and about being able to reach people in many different ways, which is why, I mean, if you get deplatformed for YouTube, you're going to take a huge hit, but you have a pretty big Twitter. Yeah, I got a, and, good, a good Twitter. I have a, a podcast. I have a radio show that's national. Uh, uh, so I have several. Plus, we do live shows. So mm -hmm. when they did the first adpocalypse on YouTube, yeah, so it crushed me, right? And I had employees, right? And so I remember my Ron Placone came in. He goes, uh, "Hey, what are we going to do?" Like he was afraid. Like, is this all over now? Yeah. And I was like, well, we'll we'll start a Patreon and we'll see what happens. And people came up and supported the show in a way that I could still keep all my employees, and the show kept going. Yeah. And so, yeah, I have now. I have a Patreon revenue stream, and and added a uh, PayPal revenue stream. And we also have Stripe, which is a different thing. We also yeah. and then we, and we go back to advertising on YouTube, but we don't rely on that at all because now we know we can't rely on that. 
Yeah, and there's there's merch, there's everything. Right. And it's funny because every now and then I'll post something on YouTube about my Patreon and people will be like, don't you have enough money? And be like, first <laughs> of all, I live in a two-bedroom in Studio City. I'm not exactly, you know, I'm, I'm not know. Gates here. But also it's because this, any time this can all go away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an artist and a business person, which you have to be the same, you have to recognize that like, it, it, as they say, if you build it, they will come, mm-hmm. but they won't stay. Right. And so you have to continue to build it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think the scariest moment is when my wife quit her job to work for the show full time because she had a great job. Yeah. She was well. She had a great. She was. She had a master's degree and she worked at a school. She was a teacher at high school, and she worked at a blue ribbon school. And uh, so it was, and she, and she was at the top of this pay scale, right? Yeah, it's a, a, good, it's a good job. She had 20 years in and she had uh, her master's. And so she was at the top of the pay scale for them. And uh, she had great insurance, great insurance. And that all went away, you know, like, okay, I guess here we go. You're going to work for me full. This is it. If this, we're screwed. Because if she has to go back to work, she goes back at the rung, number one, the lowest rung. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, here we go. But it's work. It all, it's all working out. Yeah, well, I hope it continues to because you create an excellent product. And, you know, it's one of those things that I align with you political uh, politically on a lot of things mm-hmm. and not everything. Right. And I still enjoy your content because I enjoy – it's funny you say that. I enjoy the anger. <laughs> I do. I really do. People come up to me, Stephen, what they, what they say to me and what I didn't understand was they would go, thanks, you kept me sane. Thanks for keeping me sane. And I'm like, what? And so now I get it. What – when people watch the news, they never see their opinion and their frustrations reflected back to them. Yeah. And when they watch me, they're like, oh, that's how I feel on the inside. That's what I've been thinking. Why do I, they never, why does they never say it on MSNBC or CNN? They never say what I'm thinking or feeling. And so when I do that, it makes them like, oh, I'm not crazy and I'm not alone. As Chomsky taught us, that's the point of the media is to make you think that those are the only, you're the only person thinking the shit you're thinking. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, tell the people more about where they can find you. So it's jimmydorecomedy.com. And my last name is spelled D-O-R-E. And we got a YouTube channel, but everything can be found right at the website. Excellent. Uh, please go uh, go watch and uh, go support because you never know when that's going to change. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, being here for another episode of Failing Forward. As always, rate, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. That is how other people find the show. Share us on Twitter. Uh, share us on your Facebook, share us uh, in person, tell people to give it a listen. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.